Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the animal stickers and postcards we have for sale. So this week, we're going to be talking all about the dung beetle which is kind of a perfect animal to talk about right now because in the game, they're rare winter bugs that can only be caught when snow settles from early December to late February. They look really cute in the game. (laughs) They're just like pushing their little snowballs along, which is really wholesome. I mean, not to jump too ahead, but is this accurate that they're like wintry bugs, Olivia? You can't find them, like, really far north. It looks like you can find them pretty much everywhere except for Antarctica. Wow. I don't know, like, to what extent they do, like, the ball-rolling behavior in the north. There's, like, a lot of species of dung beetle, so I wasn't able to get that in detail. But I would say that's, like, probably kind of fair, maybe a little exaggerated. Well, if you bring a dung beetle to Blathers, he'll say, What can I say? The aptly named dung beetle feeds on the feces of animals. Who? You heard right. This putrid pest rolls up balls of dung and then rolls them away to dine on at a later date. As if that weren't atrocious enough, some dung beetles lay their eggs in the feces too. What a dreadful place to raise the young. Oh my god. Well, okay. Yeah. They are kind of like gross, but dung beetles are actually amazing. Not only are they kind of like grossly fascinating in how they eat the dung of many large mammals like elephants and cows, but they're also really important ecologically. Like I I would say if if we're going to like put bees on a pedestal for pollination, dung beetles should also be there for like cleaning up everything and being nature's little sanitation workers. They're just like scuttling around cleaning up after everyone, so We need to give them the credit they deserve. They need that. So yes, they're gross, but someone has to do it. (laughs) But I mean, in terms of like what they are, they're part of a really interesting group, my favorite group of beetles called the Scarabidae. So any guess as to what you think the English term for this group might be? I don't know if you've ever Um, heard of this group before. I definitely have, and I definitely don't remember, but I just see the word scary in there potentially, but I know that's not what it is. That's just the blathers in me. Yeah. So they're part of the scarab group. So if you've you've ever heard of scarab beetles, that's what these are. They're a very highly diverse group, and they're a group that I guess would contain some of the most recognizable beetles, just because, in my opinion, they're recognizable because they can be quite large. If you live in warmer climates, you might be familiar with like the Japanese beetles, which are kind of inch long, bright green beetles, and it flies around and it makes like this crazy noise. They're quite invasive right now, so you might be familiar with those. I've also encountered these when I was in Disneyland and they got caught in my hair when I was by the pool. And I was like, this is the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. This is so cool. It was a little alarming, though, because they're very loud and they're very big. There's also June beetles. If you have June beetles in your area, as well as some of the biggest beetles in the world are in this group. Beetles like the Goliath beetle, the rhinoceros beetle, Hercules beetle. So if any of these names ring a bell, they're all part of Scarabidae. Scarabs can be really diverse in shape, size, and color, but they do tend to be very round and oval in shape. And importantly, if you look closely at their antenna, the bulb part at the end of the antenna is what we call a book antenna. So they remind me a little bit of like those old school wooden honey dipper sticks, like the kind on like the, the honey nut Cheerio boxes. 
Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I don't know if anyone Like, it has, else... like, a little, like, a comb at the end. Yeah, almost. yeah, it's like a comb. So some of them look like that. Some of them might look almost like antlers. Like, they have pieces protruding from the end. A lot of them look a bit like petals folded into themselves or little cups folded into mm-hmm. themselves. They're really cute. So if you see a beetle that has that, it's probably a scarab of some kind. And so some dung beetles also have, like fancy horn-like structures on their head and thorax and kind of spiny things on their legs. So there's a lot of different body shapes, but these are some of the similarities they all have in common. They're kind of fancy. Yeah, they are They are really fancy. And they can be like some of the prettiest iridescent colors. Like, yeah, I think they're really beautiful. So I, I highly recommend that people look up pretty pictures of scarab beetles and the scarabidae. Now that we know what a scarab is in general, let's talk about dung beetles. So dung beetles is the general term referring to some of these groups within the scarab family. They tend to be really round. Some of them are almost like perfectly circular in shape. They have a really broad head with a flat plate kind of over their mouth and very rounded legs that have almost like a scoop-like shape to them. And these legs are really useful for building their famous dung balls, as well as digging and fighting with other dung beetles. So yeah, their whole body is like very like chunky and they look like they'd walk around like a cartoon bulldog almost, like they have that sort of stockiness to them. Now, all of this in mind, there's about 6,000 species of dung beetle. So there's a lot of variation within this group. And to give you an idea of how diverse that is, there's about uh, 6,500 species of mammal out there alone. So um, wow, yeah, beetles are really, really crazy diverse and it can be really hard to identify them. And there's probably many, many species out there that we that we don't know of. So yeah, keep that in mind. I'm going to be making lots of generalizations about the group. I'm not talking about any particular species in general today, but we're mostly going to talk about sort of the more iconic dung beetles in quotations that are sort of known for rolling poop around and engaging with poop in general. That's so funny. Like, imagine if we did an episode that was just mammals. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's just talk generally about mammals. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to, like, put that stat in there for context. I mean, insects in general are really diverse, but beetles especially, like, God has an inordinate fondness for beetles. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote, but <laughs> it's <was> just <laughs> basically referring to the fact that there's just so much diversity. I think now it's more... I've, I've also heard that there's probably more diversity in like parasitic wasps and stuff, but still loving the beetles. So if there's so many species, you must be able to find them kind of all over, I imagine. Yeah, so you can find them all over except for Antarctica. And I think like really, really cool places, maybe they might be harder to find or in much lower diversity. So they occupy a variety of different habitats, but they're usually more common in places where there's mammal dung available to them and places that aren't too hot or too cold. They'll eat other types of dung as well, but mammals sort of their favorite or seem to be the most common thing for them to eat. And why can't it be too hot or too cold? Well, it depends on the species, but one of the reasons they're really picky about it is Because when the temperature is too cold, the poop is going to freeze. And when it's too hot, uh, the dung that they're eating will dry up. Mm. Dung beetles don't really like either of these scenarios because their favorite part of the poop is like the gross liquid inside it. So the adult beetles really like all the microorganisms that exist within the dung. And if the poop is dry or frozen, there's no getting to that good stuff. 
Wow, this is not the episode to <laughs> listen to if you're cooking or eating. No, this is it's a little grody, just a, just a, a bit. I feel like that was the grossest part. I don't know. That seems okay. gross to me. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So they're definitely famous for like rolling their little like poop snowballs. Do all dung beetles do that? No. So there's kind of three main ways dung beetles are classified. There's rollers diggers and dwellers (laughs) i really like their little nicknames here so the rollers they're the only ones taking their dung platter to go they may just eat the dung themselves once it's rolled away from the crowd or they might have cooperated with a partner to roll the poo ball away to a place where they can mate and the female can lay eggs in the dung so like blather said yes they do lay their eggs in the dung because it's really nutritious and it's like your larva will grow up surrounded by food. <laughs> so if you think of it that way, it's like a cornucopia for the larva. And the female may stay with her larva for up to two months, just making sure they're clean and safe and taking all their feces away because, you know, they're surrounded by it, but don't want to be surrounded by your own poop, apparently. And <laughs> the second group, I guess, of dung beetles are the diggers. And the diggers will crawl onto a pile of pat, like a patty, and bury right into it and into the ground. They'll kind of just like drill on through. And that way they can make a series of tunnels right under the dung pile. And they'll eventually lay their eggs in little compartments within that tunnel system and take little pieces of dung and put them with each larva so that they have some food as they develop. And the handy thing with this is in drier climates where those patties are going to dry out really quickly in the sun, they sort of have like access to the most moist part of the patty for the longest amount of time. So it's really handy for them as well. And finally, we have the dwellers, and these are the lazy dung beetles, and they just hop onto the pile of poop, eat it, and lay their eggs right in there where it is. So this group, they're not moving around too much. They're also known to be predated on by burrowing owls because burrowing owls are quite clever in that they'll lather their own poop around their burrows, and that attracts beetles to them to eat. Wow. (laughs) Diverse. (laughs) You can can do a lot of things with poo, apparently. Apparently. It's such a, I don't know, it's like the Play-Doh of nature. Just (laughs) so many opportunities. (laughs) What's the Play-Doh quote? Isn't there like a slogan they have? Fun to play with, not to eat. (laughs) I knew it was good. That's hilarious. Okay. (laughs) It's just like (laughs) Play-Doh. Except that the dung beetles do eat it. Okay. Um, But I want to go back and I want to talk about the rollers now that we've talked about the diggers and the dwellers. I think the rollers are my favorites when it comes to their behavior. They're just so freaking cute oh my god so the first thing i think is really important to understand about dung beetles in general so that we can understand the motivation of the rollers is that dung beetles have a lot of competition between other members within their species so that intraspecific competition like the second an elephant patty lands on the ground there can be a mad scramble to get to it by hundreds of beetles in one case 4,000 beetles were observed to arrive at an elephant patty within 15 minutes and by the end 16,000 beetles had dragged apart the three pound patty away and it took about two hours so It's, yeah, it's a mad scramble to get to this. It's not always necessarily this busy, but when reading about dung beetles, there seems to be a lot of conversation about competition. So fighting for your food, not a lot of fun. 
So dung beetles will make themselves a nice rolled up dung ball. They'll use those kind of scoop-like arms of theirs and that flattened head. And what they'll do is they want to roll it away before anyone can steal it. And if a competitor jumps onto their dung ball and does try to steal it, they'll wrestle it away. And what they try and do is get their head or their legs under the competitor and like flip them over and off the ball. So it's a really crazy thing to watch. They're incredibly strong beetles. I mean, they can, some species can be pushing balls of dung 50 times their weight so yeah they're pretty impressive that way but they're gonna fight (laughs) they're gonna fight for their pile of crap really hard so yeah i just want to bring that up another really important thing to know about dung beetles is that they are amazing navigators so as soon as they get away from the dung heap they've got their poop ball they are going to push that just like in a beeline towards their nest so they're going to push it over all kinds of obstacles and if they can't go over an obstacle they'll like go around it and get perfectly back on track and just keep going they're just like these little pre-programmed robots wow what what makes them so good at navigating so when the sun is out they can calculate where they are relative to that so they have very sensitive light sensing organs and those organs can even detect polarized light which humans can't see so even if the sun goes down and there's no moon to guide them so if it's a really dark night they still have an idea of where light is coming from in the sky it was even discovered recently that on a night where the moon isn't visible they can use the super faint light of the milky way to guide them as well wow it's very cool i mean I don't even know if I could identify the Milky Way. Yeah, like if you were in the middle of the desert or something with yeah. very little light pollution, but he like in the city or something, no way. <laughs> like I think I've seen it a few times, but it's yeah, it's like in the middle of nowhere and you have to look really hard for it. But yeah, their their eyes are just that sensitive. And it was reading about the experiments they do on dung beetles is like a little concerning, but also a little funny, which I feel like is a lot of entomology. <laughs> But they would put like little hats on them that would cover their light sensing organs and then they'd watch them get like really confused. And they were like, hmm, that must be how they figure out where to go. So that's a way. But yeah, I mean, this isn't just like an approximate guide. This is like very, very exact. They know exactly where they're going. So I watched this wonderful TED Talk about dung beetles yesterday. We have to share this TED Talk because it was deeply inspiring. So they were doing these experiments where they would place like a board with a spinning disc in the middle and they'd put it right in front of the dung beetle that was like pushing its ball of dung and it would push it onto the board and into the middle of the disc and the experimenter would like shift the disc so that the dung beetle would be facing the wrong way. And like instantly this thing would just like get back onto its little ball, do like a little dance and it'd be like, oh, that's where I'm going. And it would immediately start pushing it in the right direction again, no matter like where they had moved the disc. It was amazing. And another time they put a beetle in like a semicircle shaped tunnel, which forced the beetle to push its dung 180 degrees so that it was going in the complete wrong direction. And it was crazy. You'd watch this thing and it would go exactly 180 degrees. And the second it reached that point in the tunnel where it was going the wrong direction, it switched its position to go back. And it was so cute. It was just like, nope, this is wrong. And yeah, it was amazing That's to watch. That's so cool that they know. Yeah, I, I love that they they seem to just know what's going on. And they're very intentional. And do they actually do a little dance? Yeah, so they'll the way it kind of looks is they'll crawl up on the, to the top of their ball and like shimmy around in a circle and they do that to get a sense of where light is coming from so to sort of reorient themselves it's kind of like 
if you're on a hill and you're trying to figure out where the trail back home is, so you'd like do a little turn around and look around. They'll also do it when the ground is really hot and they need to cool down because the poop is quite a bit cooler than like a hot sand where the sun is beating down. So they'll do this little dance more often if they're in a really hot place. Another really cool way that they can navigate back home is by counting their steps. (laughs) So this is something ants and crustaceans can do as well, or some ants and crustaceans. I'm not sure if it's all of them, but they can tell, you know, what direction they're going by the light. But in order to sort of know the distance they are from their nest, they'll sort of memorize that distance as they go. And so in the same video I was watching where they did the experiment with like the spinning disc, they also did an experiment where they had a pile of poop on a piece of paper. And they were watching this uh, dung beetle go back and forth from its nest to the, to the poop. So they knew where its nest was. And they were going, okay, so if we move this paper with the poop on it, you know, like half a meter to the left, it's going to tell us if this beetle is finding its way back home by looking at its surroundings, like landmarks. Because if we move the paper, it should still be able to get back to its burrow. But if it's just going off its distance and its steps, then it's going to be off because it's going to go the right direction and the right distance, but we're going to have moved its starting location. So it's just going to be all messed up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's cool to hear about how the experiments actually work. Yeah, so in the end, of course, they they move this pile of dung and turns out, yeah, the the beetle was wrong. So (laughs) the poor thing's like, like, it's not that far away from its nest, but it was like totally confused as to where it was. And so... Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And it seems like they don't entirely know how it was counting its steps because its way towards the dung pile was very windy because it's sort of on the lookout for other resources while it's on its way there. But once it's got some dung, it's going to go straight back to its burrow. So it's got some way of calculating, okay, you know, I've taken this many steps, but they are kind of windy, but I know I need to take this many steps home. That's really interesting. It is very it's interesting. It's not just like a straight like Fitbit kind of situation. (laughs) Not at all. So yeah, I mean, that remains a mystery, but it's really cool to see these experiments. So we'll definitely have to share it. So getting back to the dung, is that all that dung beetles eat? No. So lots are also carrion eaters or they may eat decomposing plant material or fungus. So they do have a variety of things that they can eat. Some are even predatory and it's really scary. Actually, I was reading about it, not for humans, but like if you were a bug, it would be scary. There are some dung beetles which predate on millipedes. So they'll find a millipede and basically they'll like use the flat disc on their head to pry open body segments and like essentially decapitate millipedes, which is just wacky. Like I just, I feel bad for the millipedes. It sounds really terrifying. Other species will do the same thing to ants. They'll jump on top of them and spend up to five minutes decapitating an ant and then rolling their body away, kind of like it was a piece of poop, back to their burrow. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so the more well, you I know. I was wondering, because I guess, the, is the dung very nutritious? Like, Or do they have to eat like a lot of it to kind of get enough nutrients or... I don't know, actually. It seems like because they're eating the nutritious parts of the dung, like all the microorganisms and like, I I would think it wouldn't be bad because a lot of the dung that they're eating, they tend to prefer herbivore dung, which like in the case of elephants, elephants have a really inefficient digestive system. 
they mm. eat a lot, but they aren't breaking down the materials very well. That's why you get things like elephant poo paper. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's like, right, yeah, because it's so their poop is just so fibrous and it's still like the plants are pretty much intact. So I would imagine that stuff is probably pretty nutritious, but yeah, not really sure otherwise. And I know that sort of decomposers are really important to the environment. And it seems like dung beetles are like king of the decomposers in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely are. And like, as I mentioned before, they're very underappreciated, but, but they're just underappreciated these days. Back in the day, like during ancient Egypt, they were a symbol of life and very exalted. So you see a lot of scarab symbolism in jewelry from ancient Egypt and art and the dung beetle was a symbol for the god that rolled the sun into the sky every day, so they were very strongly associated in that sense. And it's thought that the ancient Egyptians also believed that dung beetles displayed essentially what we know now as something called spontaneous generation. So this was the idea that that was kind of prevalent before evolution, that organisms could kind of spring up out of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever heard like in biology class the idea of like, a jar of yeast just suddenly producing insects. And so they thought, wow, this like sealed jar of yeast just produced things out of nowhere. Um, even though, you know, there's mm. probably like eggs with bugs in the yeast and whatever. So yeah, that, that was kind of an old idea that's since been disproved. But, you know, in ancient Egypt, they were probably seeing like old beetles go underground and new beetles arise from the sand with no apparent mating or egg laying. So there are some associations there with the symbol for life and, and scarab beetles. And also in ancient Greek mythology, it was thought that the dung beetle was like king of the mythical group called the pygmies. And it's also been referenced as an ingredient in the creation of the Philosopher's Stone, the stone that could transform silver to gold in the old days, the folkloric idea of this stone. So yeah, some interesting cultural facts about scarab beetles. Huh. Between the snowy owl last episode and the Philosopher's Stone this episode, we're just like slowly becoming a Harry Potter yeah. podcast. <laughs> we're going to run out of creatures for Animal Crossing, so we'll just move into like mythical creatures. Yes, I like that idea. That'll be fun. But going back to their ecological importance, dung beetles, man, they can clean up a massive amount of dung. And often like the dung that's produced by like the world's biggest animals, like even back in the Pleistocene, they were cleaning up woolly mammoth and giant sloth dung. So they've been at this for a while. And if you've ever been near a field of cows, you know how much poop they're producing. Like that's about 10 to 12 dung pats per day. So without dung beetles to clean that up, we'd be like swimming in dung. In Texas, they found that dung beetles were cleaning up around 80% of the cow patties. So that number is going to vary depending on where you are. But regardless, that's very significant, um, especially because like there's a lot of cows on this planet. Yeah. By cleaning up the poop, they're not only ensuring that vegetation isn't smothered, but they're actually reducing the number of flies and parasites that are growing in the dung as well. So lots of benefits to that. Like one of the textbook cases, I guess, I kept coming across while researching the episode. It was apparently in Australia in the 1960s. They brought all these cows over for agriculture. And what ended up happening was they had a huge fly problem because the dung beetles that lived and that were native to Australia were adapted to deal with like the dry and hard dung of marsupials, not these like really gooey, icky cow patties. Mm. So all this dung was piling up and they ended up with like a ridiculous number of flies that were just like harassing everyone 
And so they decided to introduce 53 dung beetle species from other parts of the world to deal with all this cattle dung. And it seems to have worked pretty well. Reading about this, I kind of felt a little uncomfortable because I was like, I feel like there are very few cases where using biological controls of species that are non-native have sort of like backfired on everyone. Yeah. So I tried to like search up whether there were any negative consequences of this. I haven't found anything. I don't know if that's because it sounds like this has been successful from the angle that like farmers and like large communities are not dealing with huge number of pests. And I guess dung beetles aren't like a crop pest and... Yeah, but I don't know. I just was kind of uncomfortable with it when I read it. But I I did try and look it up and it didn't seem like there was much on the negative side that was really obvious. Yeah, I just wanted to to bring that up. I don't want to seem like I'm promoting the introduction of insect species. I also wanted to mention, just as importantly, they're also bringing that dung underground. And that helps to fertilize the ground and bring all of that nutrients down in there and giving plants a lot of nutrients to grow. Another really cool thing with this is that by bringing dung underground, they're actually burying greenhouse gases. So they're sequestering all of that, things like methane and carbon dioxide. So they're like little little climate heroes here. They're just getting all of that greenhouse gas in the ground where it should be. And as we know, cows produce a lot of methane. It's a bit of an issue. So yeah, yeah, definitely that's a very good thing as well. So we really like dung beetles. They're doing a good job. Yeah, we should all aspire to be more like dung beetles. Just like follow our goals, (laughs) no matter if we get pushed off course and bury greenhouse gases as much as possible. I think that's a really good moral to this story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess to summarize, not all dung beetles roll their poop away, but most of them do love to eat it. Dung beetles are amazing navigators and will stop at nothing to bring their crap home with them. And third, they are major clean freaks and may be the real climate heroes we need. I like that. Um, I learned a lot because I feel like you think of them as being like a dirty bug, but in reality, they're like the cleanest in a way. Yeah, I think they're, they're a nice juxtaposition there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. That was such a great episode, I think. And and it was very nice to get back to doing insects. It's been too long. It has been a very long time. And I'm glad this was an insect we had a lot to talk about. Yeah. Sometimes they're like, there's not a lot known about some bugs. I guess we were talking about a lot of bugs, the equivalent of all mammal species. So yeah, <laughs> in terms of number of species. <laughs> Well, thank you everyone so much for listening and please leave us a rating and review below. We'd really, really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe. And check out our merch store at beyondblathers.square.site. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.